You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. It's episode 12 of The Boost with Lauren Leone, SVP, Account Services and Healthcare Marketing at Cardinal Digital Marketing. Let's go. All right. Welcome to The Boost, conversations with people promoting mental health. And Lauren Leone certainly fits that bill and the organization she works for as the SVP of Account Services and Healthcare Marketing at Cardinal Digital Marketing. Um, in a moment, we'll um, hand it to Lauren to just uh, introduce herself and the beautiful work they're doing there. But first, Lauren, how are you? I'm great, Steve. It's um, it's a great day here in Atlanta. We just uh, welcomed our summer interns. They all came in this morning, fresh faces, right out of college, excited to do healthcare marketing. So that always just brings like a new energy to the office. I love, love, love seeing their smiling faces. Um, that was me, you know. 10 years ago when I started at Cardinal. So um, it's exciting. It's exciting to have them here. So it's a good day. You started as an intern. Not technically an intern, but like, you know, that that fresh face, like first career. Um, yeah, I was basically that paid, wow. but basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, paid, paid. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So is this something you all do every semester? You bring in a few or? Yeah, we we do a summer and a fall um, internship program, usually either recent grads or soon to be grads. And we've hired a, a large portion of our team out of the internship program, trained them up to do things the way we do them. And they bring, you know, energy and excitement and new things that we didn't know. So it's it's great to have them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um you know, I do a lot of work in Nashville. I just live just north of Nashville. And that's that's one of the things I love about Nashville is that I think after New York City, it's the largest college town. Uh, so, you know, you've got Vanderbilt, you've got Belmont, you've got TSU and MTS, all these all these uh, Lipscomb, you know. So the infusion of um, the the young, energetic, vibrant workforce mixed with healthcare, which um, can also have a lot of innovation. We'll talk about innovation, where that sits today in terms of some of the clients you're working on. But healthcare can also be sometimes a little bit of a late adopter or, um, you know, have have that kind of uh, reputation in, in some instances. Uh, so to mix healthcare with the music scene in Nashville and then the college kids, I love, I just love, it's like an absolute melting pot of, yeah. uh, of approach. And I think that's what makes Nash, one of the things that makes Nashville so strong is to be able to draw, um, from different industries and then geographically, you know, Chicago and, and New York and this whole side of the country that you can pull from. Um, and Atlanta is very similar, I think. Mm -hmm. Very much, very much. So like you just said, we've got some great colleges and universities right in Atlanta, but in and around us, we've got, you know, Alabama, we pull from all the Florida universities, we get a lot of people in from Nashville, Chattanooga, Charleston. So yeah, we we get um, our interns come in from from all walks of life. And they 
they some of them moved to Atlanta just for this program. Oh, yeah. So it's exciting. Yeah. My brother moved out from San Diego to Atlanta. He's been there, I don't know, a decade or more and likes it. And uh, he's in the digital marketing space. And he and I will either meet up in Chattanooga, which is fun. I'll drive down and he'll drive up. Or ideally, we go to Atlanta and get some Antico pizza, which you just mentioned ahead of time, you're going to have some. And that's one of our favorite restaurants in Atlanta. I'll be going there tonight to uh, for the L.A. Dodgers game. Freddie Freeman's coming back in town. So uh, we're going to get some pizza beforehand. So nice. it's, it's a good day when pizza's at the end of it. Pizza at the end of the day. <laughs> it's a good day. Yeah, Alex Membrio, your CEO, is always like when he'll be in Chicago, he's always like, oh, it's deep dish time. He's <laughs> yeah. always got to have some yep. of that. When we go, we just booked a trip to Chicago in June, and I know that's the first stop we'll make when we get off the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Gino's East or something. Um, yep. Okay, so we're going to get into a number of things today, and I'm excited to talk with you. But before we do, like we do with every guest, um, we're going to do two quick things. One is the virtual hug. And the other is the shameless plug. So we'll do those one at a time. So the virtual hug is simply a moment of gratitude. So tell us somebody or something you're thankful for today. Yeah, um, I have to give my husband a shout out. I have been, um, I mentioned, and I'll talk a little bit more throughout this podcast about the work we do in healthcare and private equity backed healthcare. So Alex and I, um, in preparation for hosting our own virtual summit later this year, have been on a conference circuit, which means my two kids under the age of three are home with dad. He, uh, he is, you know, doing school drop-off, school pickup, dinner, bath, every time I'm on the road. So I've got to give him a shout out today. That's not easy work. That's no. uh, not no. easy work. We have, we have, uh, we have one kiddo and uh, my brother, when, uh, when she was on the way, he said, it's going to be the hardest job you'll ever love. That's how he, he yes. recaps parenting. So, yeah. It's very true. When I leave here, I always say time to start my real job on my way to my real job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. Well, well, that's awesome. Shout out to your husband and uh, and that moment of gratitude. Well-deserved. Um, so from, coming from you directly, talk about two things in the, in the shameless plug and feel free to brag a little bit because it comes <laughs> best from you. So talk about the work you're doing yourself and then uh, the work that Cardinal Digital Marketing is doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, Cardinal is a healthcare marketing agency. And so, you know, we, the reason we really hedgehogged into healthcare about five or six years ago is because it, we call it marketing that matters. Um, it felt a lot better and more meaningful than selling shoes online or, you know, promoting lawyers or all the other things we could do with our marketing knowledge. It really just felt like it had a bigger meaning and, and we could all really get behind it and, and believe in the work that we're doing and not just kind of churn through our day without thinking about who we're helping or why we're doing it. So that's really the ethos of, of who Cardinal is. I've been with Cardinal for 10 years. I mentioned I came in here fresh-faced not too long after graduating college myself and have really worked with Alex to build the organization up, to find our focus, to find our purpose, to create growth plans. And for me personally, I love what I do because I work with all of the prospects, the prospects who are looking to grow their organizations, are wondering how to attract more patients and, and allow patients to know that their services are there and available to make to make those services more accessible, both through, you know, digital 
uh, conversion, but also just finding the right places to open their businesses and where where care is needed most. Um, so being able to do that work and help them figure out, you know, their plans is really, really gratifying at the end of the day. Ultimately, I get to bring them on as clients of Cardinal and they get to work with our wonderful team of of 50 marketers, paid media specialists, SEO specialists, website designers, developers, content marketers, people who will help them build up their brand, get recognized and ultimately help more people. So that's that's really what what we love to do as an organization. Yeah, that's cool. That's fantastic, actually. And um, we could we could actually talk in sort of a meta way around Cardinal's brand. Um, but, um, you know, you've got you, and you do a podcast like you do. It's called Ignite, right? Healthcare marketing podcast. And you said you've done about 80 of those episodes over the past couple of years. So uh, podcasting is yeah. is right in your wheelhouse. And then, yeah, the scaling up conference that's going to be virtual this year um, for for healthcare marketers and, and maybe investors or PE firms, uh, if I have that right. Yeah, you've got it right. We our ultimate goal is to share the knowledge that we learn every day, every week, both through our clients, through our own work. And so we do that through our podcast. Um, it's on on all the the app store or the uh, podcast stores, you know, that the um, Apple podcast, Spotify, uh, everywhere that you might listen. I always love it when someone calls and they say, you know, I listened to your podcast and I thought I had to reach out to you guys. I'm like, someone actually listens to that. So it's great. Uh, my dad isn't the only listener anymore. We have actual listeners. So you got to love that. And then, yeah, our conference is really just an effort to bring all these brilliant marketers together in one place and talk talk about who's innovating, how they're innovating, how we can help each other innovate. Um, you know, while there may be a handful of organizations that compete for the same patients, really no one gets into healthcare you know, because they they don't want to help people. They're all here for a reason um, or, or they've stuck around for a reason. And so it's a really great way to just get people together and and talk about what they've learned and how other organizations can, you know, evolve uh, in following their footsteps. Yes. So many clinicians and providers have this philanthropic mindset. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, and that that extends to mental health providers and therapists as well. Um, I'm I'm I've worked across a swath of healthcare, uh, hospital marketing and health system marketing and sort of the transition to this language around health for health systems and, you know, the proactive um, quality um, measures and value-based care that's happening. Mm -hmm. um, and I love, I love how Cardinal Digital has, um, has niched down into healthcare marketing specifically. And within that, you work across all sorts of multi-site organizations or, um, you know, uh, you know, different niches and group practices and verticals, um, behavioral health being just one of, of many listed on your website. Um, but if we could focus on behavioral health, um, I run, I run this conference called the mental health marketing conference. And Alex spoke last year on a panel. And, uh, as we've been, I call it riding this wave or surfing this wave. And we're just kind of trying to paddle and stay standing on this board of behavioral health as it's moving forward, um, especially the past few years, a little bit fast and furious. And you're well-versed to talk about sort of PEs or private equities input on that or interest in that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of change happening, I think, in the mental health and behavioral health space. So could you help outline 
or outlay sort of maybe the past couple few years of private equities infusion and behavioral health and mental health and how that's impacted the space and then where we are today. And I know that's a big question, but I think you can, I'm sure you can, you can tackle it just as well as anybody. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the, the catalyst obviously to a lot of this was when when the world shut down, COVID changed everything. And we really saw that the long-term plans of the clients that we had at the time in the behavioral space were accelerated. I'm talking two-year plans consolidated down into two-week plans to get the access up and running online so that people didn't have to leave their homes, but they could still continue, you know, to get the care that they needed. And then the pressure that COVID put on society created a greater need for more mental health. It broke down stigmas. More people, unfortunately, turned to you know, substance or or whatever vices they had to get through that time. So those people needed more help. You had a lot of anxiety about job security, you know, family planning, just the world changed. And so the need grew and people were willing to ask for help. And so I think that dynamic really brought in a lot of private equity who saw that they could grow organizations and help providers who had the right ideas but didn't have the capital the time, the technology to make it happen quickly and be available, that that really just kind of was was what they were able to do. So we saw groups who, you know, stood up online um, virtual therapy in a matter of weeks and were able to keep not only their current patients rolling on their their needs and their programs. We saw, you know, text therapy um, where you could just text as needed. We saw a lot of um, like counseling groups, just just you know, groups of people that could get together and talk about whatever they needed to talk about to get it off their chest, get feedback, and so we've seen that really be the catalyst of it. And and now where we are today is there was such a rapid, at least in the marketing landscape, such a rapid growth in the vertical. So many groups grew really fast, and then a lot of groups, you know, a lot of private equity firms are still seeing it as an opportunity, but. What what became of that was what I see as a, a relatively saturated market. I mean, I think there's everyone was of the belief that if I build the organization, the people will just come. I don't have to do anything. There's so much need and there is so much need, but there's also a lot of noise. And so what we see a lot of the groups doing today to try to stand out is really focusing on building a brand, a brand that stands for something, a brand that... um you know, it is, feels really accessible and relatable. And so that's why you see groups really leaning into their value propositions, whether it is the fact that it's virtual therapy or maybe they specialize in, you know, LGBTQ, you know, um, uh, topics or, um, you know, maybe they um, are really all about in-person and that's their value proposition is we believe therapy needs to happen in an office or medication management as part of the therapy spectrum. And so those organizations that, you know, identify who they are and really lean into it and promote that and sing it from the rooftops are the ones succeeding. And the ones who just think if I run, you know, PPC campaigns for the keyword therapists near me, I'll just be busy all the time. And then that that was the case for about two years, but it's really not anymore. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's a COVID effect, obviously. And then um, and I would probably add that 
we've seen we've seen rollups and consolidation across healthcare for a while. You know, we saw it in ortho and optometry and and different services service lines you could call it uh, that were outside maybe the walls of the standard health system, and it's like we've left mental health and behavioral health to very last. You know, mm-hmm. and and the irony there is it's probably one of the most critically important things we could do to make sure it's baked into the continuum of care and not simply a, a referral over the wall, you know, but our minds yep. and bodies hope are connected. It up. Yes. Yeah. 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 Hope somebody, yeah. hope somebody catches that ball and runs with yeah. it. Um, yeah. So but- I, I want to add on that, Steve, sorry. I, I, what you just said sparked a thought that I didn't bring up, which is private equity really brought the ability to negotiate payer contracts. And a lot of the therapy groups that we're working with now take insurance. That was a major, major shift as well that I didn't call out that I think is so important. Ooh, that's fascinating. So talk a little bit more about that because that was right in line with my next question, actually, which is when it's going great, you know, and you you have a managed services organization or you have a private equity firm, you know, helping with efficiencies and optimization and scale, um, when you see it work well, what are the, what are the real value adds being brought to the table and, 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 and how's that impact the organization? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll start with the payer contract piece. A lot of, a lot of individual therapists that may be running a single provider clinic, they're negotiating power and being able to accept insurance. A lot of them were self-pay prior to this, which was in and of itself payment was a hurdle for access and people felt like if they had, you know, a a finite amount of dollars, am I going to go spend it on a therapy appointment or am I going to just kind of figure it out on my own? And that's an unfortunate, you know, situation. And so with the roll up, what came of that was the ability to negotiate with the insurance providers to be able to bring access through commercially insured um, or, you know, even some groups, you know, accepting Medicaid. Um, at least to negotiate better self-pay rates even so that those, you know, out of out of network, you could still it, it felt more accessible mm-hmm. uh, and more affordable. Mm-hmm. So I think that was huge. Um, other things that we see going well, access. So online scheduling, some of the technologies that otherwise wouldn't be in place. So the ability to like a dental appointment, um, DSOs did this 20 years ago to be able to go online and say, I want to have an appointment tomorrow at 12 o'clock with this doctor. And then I got busy. I need to reschedule it. Let me move it around to do so, you know, from my phone while I'm in a meeting and I, I need to to handle it and not have to get on the phone at five o'clock when I'm trying to take care of my kids and and put my mental health last. So I think that was really a, a big shift. And then I think another big change that we've seen is just this spectrum of mental health has broadened. So Private equity has allowed maybe a therapy group to expand into um, psychiatry and medication management, to expand into counseling, uh, to expand into some of the more innovative treatments for depression like TMS or Spravato or ketamine, um, some of the more experiential uh, or sorry, some of the more experimental type of of solutions that we know are seeing really great outcomes. And before that therapist and their patients may have only been able to access the the talk therapy that was available. And now they can push them through into an organization that can 
better oversee their mental health as a whole. Yeah, depending on the acuity and, and availability of services and and helping organizations and the providers operate it close to the top of their licensure based on mm -hmm. what they want to do with their own professions. So, yeah, yeah I mean, my, my mother-in-law is a play therapist and, um, you know, the, the accounting and the billing that goes into that as a small, small group practice, regional office. I mean, it's just, it's just a headache. So to be able to offload some of those things and, and then to be able to really think about from a brand perspective. And when I think about branding, I think about the word promise, like, what are you promising me if I do engage you as a therapist or as an organization? And then how do you deliver on that promise? And that's, you know, that's your brand equity in my mind. I mean, there's lots of different ways to think about brand and brand strategy. Um, but one thing that comes to mind in terms of, uh, differentiators and roll up is, is, um, probably something you have to tackle, which is as organizations do this and they do either a build or buy strategy, um, talk about the idea of the house of brands versus the branded house and, um, maybe define that for the audience first as you see it. And then second, get into what are some of the determinations or what have, what are some of those war room conversations that you have mm -hmm. when you're debating, uh, which way we should go here? Yeah, it is probably the number one topic on my discovery calls or the conversations that come thereafter, after an introduction, which is how are you handling your acquisitions contractually? What are you obligated to, or what is your value proposition as an MSO? And then how are we then going to react and, and use that once, you know, you've, you've made those acquisitions or you you're building on your own. And so, you know, some organ, some MSOs, their, their value proposition in, you know, convincing providers to partner with the, or sell their, their brand or some of their equity in the organization is, well, we'll let you keep your local branding, your website, your properties, and we will essentially just act as a holding company for 100, 200, 500 different branded entities. And so in that case, I think you get a lot of the back office efficiencies, but you may not necessarily get the um, the digital efficiencies out of that. So managing 10 websites is a lot harder than managing one. And your media buys are not as efficient, but you know, you can, I think in those cases, they still negotiate contracts with payers at scale. They still look at technologies that can benefit the portfolio. They still take off some of the burden of revenue cycle management and, and some of the back office work uh -huh. in the, in the, the branded house conversation, which would be more of a, an acquisition and rebrand or roll up into a, a single entity, or sometimes we see regional entities form. So you may end up with like a Northeast, a Southeast, a, a West Coast brand um, based off of maybe a brand that they acquired that was well-established and everything tucks into it. In those cases, you're kind of getting the best of both, which is the, the digital and, and traditional marketing efficiencies and the back office pieces. So rolling out online scheduling is a lot more, mm. you know, efficient, single EHR, um, single, you know, unified ad buys as a brand. You can get out and shout that brand from the rooftops at a much larger reach and frequency than you can in kind of the micro strategy um, 
And then there's, of course, every version of a hybrid you could possibly imagine. So if we if we went into all of those, we'd be here for a week. But, you know, those are really like the two big scenarios that I see happening. And the war room conversations just become the pros and cons list of if I'm if I want to have something this way, if I want to retain the brands, what do I lose? I lose efficiency in certain areas. If I want to go to the unified brand, what does that mean? What happens to my relationships with my providers who just bought into this? And are they okay with that? Are some of them okay with it? Are all of them okay with it? Or am I just going to to set the stage and say that is how we're doing it? So mm-hmm. you just end up with this pros and cons list that the organization has to fundamentally decide where they sit and what they're willing to accept. Sure. Yeah. Um. And and hmm. I, I get asked, like, which one do you recommend? It's so hard to answer that because there's I've seen success in all of them. You can be successful in all of them. If if you're going to retain, you know, all of the local brands, then let's roll on to a single website platform template. Let's kind of stamp it out. Let's have a consistent content strategy. Let's, you know, figure out what it what a marketing mix and budget should look like and then copy paste that into new markets and adjust for each market circumstances. But there are, you know, let's get as efficient as we possibly can in that model. And we have plenty of clients that are succeeding, Mm -hmm. you know, in that structure. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say it's definitely not a perfect uh, comparison, but to use an Atlanta brand, I think it's Atlanta brand, Chick-fil-A. Is that is that an Atlanta brand? Of course, it's an Atlanta brand. I had Chick-fil-A for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Oh, Chick-fil-A for breakfast. (laughs) Atlanta go for dinner. You're living the dream. Yeah, yeah, not not a healthy day, but a good day. But it's (laughs) it's not like you are... um, on a mental health road trip and, you know, you're in California or New York and then you are like, well, I, I definitely want to check in with my provider here. It's different than uh, Chick-fil-A. So that aside, the efficiency, the buying efficiencies and the standardization of uh, services and customer experience, you know, and and your website being really your new front door, um, especially post-COVID, but for a while now in the digital transformation uh, which we're well into, hopefully, although still mm-hmm. adopting components. You know, how do you, it's it's less about, well, I need my my brand to be a regional thing um, necessarily, although I can definitely see both sides. Um, and you can see it from any number of industries, um, uh, well within or outside healthcare. But uh, there is something to be said about the buying power and how the buying power can drive down cost. And then that's a great point about, payer negotiation, because in terms of access, there's always a distribution problem that we have. Um, you know, some counties and cities have, uh, a lot of providers and some counties and cities have very few to none. Um, but the payment problem, you know, that's, that's gotta be in addition to access and awareness, the third leg of that stool of how are we helping people regardless of need pay for this and until we have some federal safety net you know or some uh, national network um then what are we going to do and actually just thinking about it in real time it's almost like mental health organizations it's it i mean i've heard it compared to the wild west like follow me just for a second i've heard it compared to the wild west in a number of ways right like this is still an industry that's very nascent in some ways and and information, but it's like the private market is laying the railroad tracks for the national network and not relying on the federal government, which kind of 
fractured things down to the state level. And now it's hopefully being rebuilt. I, I don't know. I just had that moment in real time just now. I, I don't know if that's what you're seeing at all. These kind of, you know, maybe it's on, on one coast versus the other, but we're connecting this network through scale. Yeah. I mean, the burden, unfortunately, ends up falling on these organizations, you know, because it's not, not being handled by our government um, in a way that is uniform. And it's interesting. We see like organizations, it's, it's sad to see organizations that can't or don't enter certain states with their incredible services and customer, you know, care model simply because they financially can't afford to do so. You know, it just the structure in that in a state perhaps doesn't make sense for them. I see that a lot. I know we're talking about mental health, but in the senior care space, for example, that's a very, very interesting market when it comes to payer. And, you know, that it doesn't change where the needs are. Um, it just changes who can be there to help, you know, with the need. And the organizations are driving the conversation right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe parallel to that. Talk about, um, talk about telehealth and the, mm -hmm. the, one, the difficulties of a copy paste, uh, you know, marketing or branding uh, strategy that I know you have a perspective on, but talk about what you've, what you've seen post COVID with telehealth and where, where is that right now in your mind? Yeah. Telehealth, it, it was, it was like a yo-yo, right? It was, it was 95% in person. It went to like a hundred percent virtual and now it's kind of settling I would say somewhere in the middle. Um, our our SVP of strategy always uses a a stat um, in the podcast that you mentioned. We did it a two part series on behavioral health trends, and there's there's a there's a statistic that I think it's something like seventy percent of of the um, the population like they don't see uh, that the care itself changes when you're virtual or in person, almost as if they're agnostic to it. And the decision then may be made based on a fluid basis, based on convenience, you know, the acute need at any given point in time. But they, there, there doesn't seem to be, or the population doesn't seem to feel as if there's a degradation of quality of care if it's given virtually or not in the behavioral health space. So that's really positive for the future of, you know, telehealth and being able to make it more accessible. Um, I don't think that means that 70% of the population is using virtual care right now. I think that's a bit of a slower adoption. I really like, I see groups, you know, there, there's the the groups that are were born and built on virtual, but the groups that use virtual as a means to extend care, not as a way to just attract new, new patients. I think that's a really positive model. So whereby you have your physical locations, maybe it's like a hub and spoke model. Um, you can come in, you've got, you know, maybe a centralized med management, TMS, and then around it live um, your therapy offices. And then those offices can offer an appointment time slot, either virtually or in person based on patient preference um, and how that that patient wants to receive their care. So I see that as as a really solid model that a lot of groups are moving towards. Okay. So it's a, it's a yo-yo, but the yo-yo hasn't come it's all the way back up. It's in like in the middle. It's no, found, it never. It did not. It'll never center. come all the way back. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's I don't know. I don't know. That just defies gravity right there. Maybe uh, maybe yo-yo wasn't the right analogy. No, but, I think it works uh, great. It's just that it's it's uh, we've maybe found a balance. You know, things move to homeostasis always, regardless. So um, things return to the mean. So perhaps the mean we're seeing it in the return to work conversation right now. I know Cardinal has some juicy jobs, by the way, uh, that any <laughs> listener should go to the website right now. And um, they may be all filled by the time this airs, hopefully not, but you guys are in growth mode, but you know, you, you're offering hybrid. I think, you know, it's like come in sometimes work virtually. Sometimes you and I wouldn't be able to connect like this um, 10 years ago, you know, with go to meeting or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Like Riverside yeah. FM didn't exist and it was all yeah. kludgy. And, and so it comes down to, it comes down to something, a bigger archetype, right? Like it comes down to technology aside, like what is the connection? How much connection can you have with another human? And, um, there's still improvements we can make. Like, um, I don't know, just to be kind of super meta, like, Right now, my eye contact is at the camera, right? Like, I don't see your face because I'm looking at the camera. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I would, I would like to be talking to, a, you know, a version of Lauren that's in the room with me. Maybe we do that through holograms or something in 10 years. I don't know. I don't know. That's for a different conversation. Um, but for the telehealth solution to be one that is vastly improved from 10 or 15 years ago, you can look at it and say, well, the market is speaking, right? It's almost Pareto's principle, like 70, 80%, you know, 70% of people are saying, yeah, this is net positive to the experience, even if it's not the only experience that you offer. I love to be able to come in and have a one-to-one -one heart to heart with my primary care physician. Um, but maybe we've covered a lot of ground ahead of that. So in between my two jobs that I'm working, I can hustle in and, you know, have a pretty efficient conversation rather than start from ground zero with my provider. Yeah, it's funny that you said that. I I I find myself looking at you and not at the camera, which probably um, isn't good for the quality of this video long term. But it's funny how how we do that, right? What like how we use virtual to to kind of our needs. So I'm I'm looking at it and engaging with you, Steve, and not looking at the camera here right above your face. But yeah, I can totally see that. It's just the the ability to do both as as you need. And I think trying to put patients in a box and say all people need this or all people need that is not realistic. Just like, you know, when when we've got clients who are looking to go through a digital transformation, our recommendation is always not to say it's most convenient for me to only have online scheduling. It's most convenient for me to only push people into my call center. What about what's most convenient for your patient? Can you offer live chat, request a call back? call me now or schedule on like if you have if your organization can do that there's not going to ever be a future in which all consumers behave in one way and one way only there's going to be a an you know a dynamic that's constantly shifting um we've recently seen people wanting to text their providers right so how does that dynamic play in what does it push out does it push out phone calls does it just add to the spectrum of how we so I think it's it's very much just like that. There's you're going to have to be able to do a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And meeting people where they are, you know, text messaging yeah, has come such exactly a long it. way. I think on maybe as a LinkedIn post of yours, you said one in five Americans go to TikTok for healthcare advice before they 
go to their doctor. Yeah, it's um, it's currently like a validation tool. Um, okay. It may not be the starting point for research, although there are, I think there was some um, research put out by TikTok or maybe an organization using TikTok. There's about, there's three kind of healthcare verticals most heavily using TikTok right now. Mental and behavioral health is one of them. Um, obesity and weight loss is another. And I think women's health was on there too. So it's an interesting platform that we see evolving as a place where, where the younger, you know, demographics at least do go to at least get ideas to potentially validate a, a decision that they're about to make on a provider or group um, to fact check, right? To fact check what they've heard and make sure that that's in fact true. They're, it's a source of truth for them. So mm -hmm. mental health is, is on that list. Um, that's kind of amazing that I'm, I'm not yeah. on TikTok. So I'm like a late adopter. I'm there. not either. Here we okay. are two non-TikTokers talking about TikTok in theory, but yeah. I don't have it. Yeah. I leave that to the experts. It was uh, last year at the conference. It was one of the most popular, um, highly rated presentations was on vertical video and TikTok. And, and then after the presentation, you know, people lined up to talk to the speaker and then they started to make, you know, uh, their own videos, you know, these providers and clinicians and marketers started to just get into it. Like, wow, it's fascinating. And, and it's an interesting conversation, you know, with the Montana debate, uh, shutting down TikTok and, and things like that. Um, but uh, it's a fun platform and, uh, and Cardinal has a super fun brand. It's a little cheeky. You know, I think on your LinkedIn, um, company page, it's like, it says, give your competition the bird maybe with Cardinal, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So um, thinking about uh, sort of storytelling and levity and having fun with a brand, you know, maybe for mental health organizations, but also there's a lot of people at marketing firms that um, are in my network and some of them may be hearing this. So how do you, from a strategic standpoint, uh, kind of make the decision to take your brand uh, sort of a little bit of a fun way while staying within sort of the, some of the rigor of healthcare? Yeah, I think the best advice I can get that's give that's universal is to be authentic, hmm. no matter what that is. So for Cardinal, it works really well because that is genuinely who we are. If you sit in a room with us, you you might hear a couple F-bombs. You might, you know, you're going to hear us talking about what's going on on our Bravo show. Like we work hard, but we like to have fun. And so our brand should exude that. And if that's not your brand, that's okay that you're not fun. Maybe your brand authentically is about trustworthiness and people go to you first always to make sure that because they trust you and and, and they want to know what you have to say because you have proven time and time again in your content that you can be trusted. So whatever the brand is that you sit down, like if your core values as an organization are these three to four statements, what, how do you translate that into your content? And so that's yeah. why I think TikTok is really intimidating to a lot of brands and marketing firms. You can't sit down and put out this, you know, what feels to be some corporate slideshow of we are this, we stand for this. Like you have to think about who you are as a brand and then authentically show that. People have to be part of that. You can't just put out stock images and think it's going to fly on these channels. It's mm -hmm. if it, it, it almost is a detriment to do something that doesn't feel authentic, you kind of get like 
you know, lost equity in mm-hmm. doing it. You're better off doing nothing than putting out something that's that's not authentic. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned you all were on the on the conference circuit and I saw Alex yeah. make some comment like, Whoa, well, next time we'll we'll have our blue blazers on, I guess, to to fit in. But <laughs> the first call I had with Alex a couple of years ago, you know, it was super casual, you know, hat backwards, uh, maybe an F bomb, uh yeah. allegedly. <laughs> And, uh, and some of that, some of that probably flows from Alex and sets the tone and the culture. Um, but it's from an authentic place. You know, it's not like he, he's not putting on a show. Like when I see him in person, genuinely happy to see him and vice versa. And, uh, he just brings a great energy to the room. Um, and it doesn't detract, you know, the humor, the dad jokes, all of that doesn't detract from the expertise. And I think it actually strengthens it as long as it's not a prop you know, where you try to, you see brands that are trying to be funny and then you see, you know, like Wendy's Twitter feed, which is actually, you know, rich, you know, it's just like coming from a great place. And they're also not the top gun, you know, they're not the, the McDonald's or what have you, you know, the, the leader in the space. So they have some, I don't know, they have some leeway too, to try to make some noise and and take some shots. Yeah, it is. when you go through those exercises of sitting down and saying, who are we as a brand? You can't say, who do we want to be as a brand? Ah. It is, if it's not who you are, like, you know, we sat, you sit down and you, you maybe you think of like your, your top people and you say, what qualities do they already possess? That is a representation of who we are. It's not, Mm -hmm. what do we wish we could be? Because it will come across as inauthentic. That's why we are who we are because that's just who Alex is as a person. That's who we have been as a team for those of us that have been here 10 years, five years, however long. People that are that that stay around at organizations are those qualities. And so then to translate that into your brand is spot on. You mentioned the Blazer thing. It was funny. The conference that we went to was a huge private equity conference in Chicago. And I it wasn't intentional, but I came in like a purple blazer. Like we're just fun. I don't own blue. I don't own a suit. Like absolutely not. So it was great. I mean, it was all black and blue. I mean, mostly men, but the women too. And Alex and I were walking around and people are trying to find us. And he's like, just look for the girl in the purple blazer. Out of the 2000 people here, it's the only non-black or blue blazer here. That just worked out. Like we are who we are, no matter where we go. We'll, we'll adapt it a little bit. I'll wear a blazer for a conference, but it may not be, you know, your standard blue one. So yeah. um, just, just living that. And I think the brand content you put out should be that. And, and if you're, if you're the dentist that, you know, you see like these dentists on TikTok that are genuinely hilarious, they're good looking to, you know, put their content out there. They're not trying to do that, you know, because they've seen everyone else do it. That's just who they are. They want to have fun with, with their day. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if you can identify people, even like in in an MSO situation, if you have providers in your network that are big personalities that you think represent who you are, it could be that they're well-published and are best known for, for the, for what they've done in their space and they're innovating in the, the care models. And that's what they put out on their social media. And maybe it's not fun and cheeky, but maybe it is truly just authentically who they are and that's what you, you decide to stand behind mm-hmm. man the purple blazer that's very seth Godin. Yeah. <laughs> purple cow you know that whole concept yeah. <laughs> of like of standing out and yeah whenever i go to boston i always think oh man i, I don't have nearly enough 
like blue dress shirts for this town. Um, yeah. But I love Boston. That's just not how, you know, it's just not how I'm, my nature nurture, you know, resonates, but the culture, yeah. you know, you, you feel when you walk into a city, you want to, I want to respect the culture, you know, and like figure out the why behind it. And yeah, yeah, there's different priorities depending on where you go. Um, one, one last question, maybe two last questions. Um, one is as you've gone to conferences, um, what's one thing that really stands out to you as like, oh, this, you don't have to mention which conference if you don't want, but this was done really well. This was really unique. What's one thing that stands out that you want to emulate with your new conference? Yeah. Um, I thought, I think two things, the ability to connect with each other prior to the conference. I know like to have um, an opportunity, even in a controlled environment, like an appointment scheduling opportunity prior, you know, you go to these places and you go there to meet, to network that otherwise, you know, you could get that content online if you wanted to just sit and learn about, you know, the trends in a certain industry. You go there for the people that are going to be there, the ability to share, learn, interact with each other. So having access to the list of those people to go through and find who might be worth talking to for you and vice versa and scheduling those appointments so you know that you're meeting at a certain time at a certain place when you get there was really refreshing. I, I, I thought that was fantastic hmm. um, use of time at conferences. And then I think the other piece that I really liked about one of the conferences we went to recently was the very specialized tracks. It's not, you know, I'm not going here to learn like macro level information, again, that I can get online anywhere, but to be very specific about a common problem, a common, you know, trend that we're seeing and pull together, even if the audience of that is somewhat small of people who care about it. I thought that was really well done was to to get very specific with, you know, the 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 conversations that were being had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Facilitating connections, facilitating conversations. It's not all TED Talks and panels. It's actually, you know, connecting with yeah. uh, kind of micro topics and, and individuals. That's really cool. Um, well, thank you for being on the show. I uh, I love working with Cardinal. I'm stoked Alex is going to be back this year. And we did create a multi, like a large multi-site panel conversation because of how the industry is trending. And then we'll also have the solopreneur, you know, small, uh, you hung your shingle and you need a website and things like that. So it's fascinating to see how the industry is is developing. Um, but I wish you all the best, not that, not that you need any of that for your success. Um, but just to close, tell me something you are either reading or listening to. It could be a podcast. It could be a new album. It could be a book. Uh, what's one thing that you're consuming? Yeah, so we are really about growing our agency and getting more of, of what we can do out to more people. So as a leadership team right now, we're reading Good to Great. Um, it's essentially about how to, you know, institutionalize in in not like an over over the top way belief systems that people see it's about how to be authentic in your leadership how to get people on board with your mission and have everyone marching in the same direction how to be a great leader so mm -hmm. um we're just wrapping up that book as a group and we get together we talk about it i would highly recommend it um yeah i i and actually let me give one more shout out to I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but any podcast on AI, AI is so fascinating. Like, I want to know how to make my life run smoother. I want to know how to 
you know, meal plan for my family. And I want to know how to review the legal scopes that I have to read every day without being a lawyer. You can do anything with AI. It's really cool. That's fascinating. Yeah. Good to great is Jim Collins. Is that right? Yeah. 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 That's a fantastic book. I went through it when I was at a, a SaaS based email marketing provider in Nashville and mm -hmm. it was game changer for the leadership team. Absolutely. Stoked to hear you guys are reading that too. Well, Lauren, it's been yep. a pleasure. Thank you so much. And, um, Hope to talk to you soon, either in person or virtual or down in Atlanta or something. We'll have to connect over pizza or something. Um, but thanks yeah, for being on the show today. Antico and yes, yeah, so we'll have to have Antico and Chick-fil-A in one day. Um, have you in for our conference maybe. So That'd it was be great fun. to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Have a good one. Thanks. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.